So let's open our Bibles now to Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 14 through 21. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, the final seven verses of the third chapter. Let's stand for the scripture reading. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Lord, we do pray today that we would experience the things that Paul prayed for here for the Ephesians. Because Lord, we know this is your heart for us today as well. So may it be so among us. May it be so in your church. In Jesus' name, amen. So the verses that we just read together are going to be our text for this morning. And this brings us to, as you can see, the end of the third chapter, but it brings us to the end of the first section of this letter to the Ephesians. You might remember in the early stages, we talked about how the letters divided into two parts. There's the first three chapters that are uh, really just telling us about the great things that God has done for us. And then the remaining three chapters are the personal application uh, part of the letter where we're told how to respond to what God has done, to his great love for us. So this brings us really to the conclusion of the first uh, half of the epistle. And um, so... We've got a little bit of a break for three weeks. We'll come back, pick up. I'm not guaranteeing that we're going to move right into chapter four. We might come back to the third chapter and highlight a few individual passages like we've already done. But um, I just feel like it's, it, you know, we, we kind of come to this place here of completing the first half of the epistle, uh, the epistle at least in a, in a certain sense. So we're picking up here, looking at this prayer of Paul. This is the second prayer of Paul found in this epistle. In the letter to the Philippians, we have another one of these Pauline prayers. In the letter to the Colossians, we have another one of these prayers. And these prayers, as I pointed out in the past, the thing to me that's so important to remember is that these these are prayers that were inspired by the Spirit of God. So 
When I think about that, I think, you know, this is the stuff to pray for. If you want to know how to pray for somebody, if you want to know how to pray for yourself, if you want to know how to pray for me, take any one of those letters or any one of those prayers in those letters that I just mentioned and pray those prayers. They're, they're obviously powerful because they're the very things that, that the Spirit himself is longing to see accomplished in our lives. So as we look at this prayer today, just keep that in mind. This is the Lord's desire. This is his will. This is what he wants us to experience. Now, here in the context, uh, Paul has been explaining two things. He's been explaining the fact that Christ has done this, this work of making peace between groups that were formerly alienated from one another, specifically the Jew and the Gentile. And remember, we've talked about how Paul uh, is emphasizing the fact that Jesus has brought this whole new thing into existence, the church, the mystery that was hidden from previous uh, generations is now, uh, it's, it's been revealed through the ministry of Paul and the apostles at the time, but it's this, this new thing that God is doing where he's bringing people together and creating a, a whole new um, family, really, uh, his family. And so Paul is explaining that. He's talking about his, his personal involvement because of the special revelation and commission that he had received. But now he turns from exposition, teaching them about this, to intercession. Intercession is prayer. So he turns and he prays that God's wonderful plan that he's been elaborating on may be even more completely fulfilled in the experience of his readers. And so verse 14 says, for this reason, or because of this, because of what? Because you are part of this great new thing that God is doing, this new humanity, this new family, this new society. Because you're part of this, Paul says, that's, that's why I'm praying for you. That's why I'm bowing my knees uh, before the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm praying for you uh, so that you would know by experience the depth of Christ's love. That's really the essence of the prayer. He wants us to know the depth of the love of Christ, that we would experience to the full uh, potential Christ's love for us. Notice here that he says, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. The whole family. Some versions read every family instead of the whole family. And I think that's a mistake on the part of the translators. Uh, even though it could read every family, the context uh, lends itself better to understanding the whole family because that's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about the fact that we are all one universal family. We've been talking about this. We've been emphasizing this because that's what the text is teaching us. And so 
Paul is emphasizing here once again, as he's been doing, that all believers belong to one family with God as our Father. And as we look at the prayer, we're going to see how it's a prayer that is for us collectively. It's not just a a prayer for us individually, even though it has the individual uh, element to it, but it's a prayer for us together, collectively, that, that we would be experiencing these things, but he's going to be reminding us that we can't experience them independent from one another. This great love of Christ is going to be ultimately experienced in community with God's people. So that's where he's headed with this. Now, there are four things that Paul asks for specifically in the prayer that he prays here. The first is that we would be strengthened with might through his spirit in our inner man. So that's the first thing he's asking for. Secondly, he's praying that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. Thirdly, he's praying that we would be able to comprehend the width and length and depth and height and and to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. And then fourthly and finally, he's praying that we would be filled with the fullness of God. And so let's look at each one of those in order. Number one, praying that we would be strengthened according to the riches of his glory with might through his spirit in the inner man. The thing that I want to remind you of is that prayer strengthens us. You ever feel feeble as a Christian? You ever feel weak? You ever feel like you're, you're being um, defeated instead of having victory? Well, one of the ways to rise above that is to be strengthened through prayer. Prayer strengthens us. Let's not forget that. When we pray for ourselves even, we, we get strength. When we say to the Lord, Lord, I need your strength. I need your help. We, God gives us that strength. But you know, there's a funny thing that happens. A lot of times we just don't pray for ourselves. We go around being defeated. We go along being beaten down. We feel weak. But we don't stop to think, I need to pray. I don't, I don't know why we do that. James reminds us of the fact that there are things that we don't have, blessings that God wants to give us, simply because we've never stopped to ask for it. He put it this way, you do not have because you do not ask. So know this, God will give you strength. Ask for him to give you strength. And he will do that. Paul's reminding us of that here. So strengthened uh, through his spirit, it's the spirit that comes and bolsters us up. And he does this for us in our spirits. He does it in our, in our inner person. Uh, we are uh, body, soul, and spirit. We know what it's like to be weak physically. And we know what it's like to be strengthened having been weak. And then maybe emotionally, there are times when we can think of having been weak emotionally, and then something happens that will come along and strengthen us there. Well, in times of spiritual weakness, we can have confidence that as we pray for one another, God strengthens us. 
I can think of many times when I have felt strengthened and only to find out later that people were praying for me at a specific time. I can think of many times where people have told me that they have felt very strengthened in their spiritual life, and that was a direct result of of people praying for them. So let's not forget that. Let's not lose sight of this wonderful gift of prayer that God has given to us. Now, as we look at the, the whole prayer here, Paul is praying specifically for strength in the inner man, but it seems that the thing that he's praying for strength for is the ability to love each other. That's really the essence of everything that he's talking about here in this prayer. It's knowing the love of Christ and then having that love of Christ minister to us and then flow out from us to other people. You know, I find that I need God's help in loving other people. It's easy to love people in theory, isn't it? It's easy to love like groups of people. You know, you say, oh, I, I love those people over there. And then you encounter the individual person and you're thinking, oh, this is not as easy as I thought it was. This is challenging. And we run out of love so quickly, don't we? What do we do when we run out of love? Well, God knows that we're going to run out of love. That's why he tells us to come to him, to be filled up afresh with his spirit. And it's through his spirit. Remember, the fruit of the spirit is love. So as he fills me with his spirit, he also fills me with the ability to love. He gives me strength to love my brothers and sisters, my fellow Christians. So we'll come back to that in a moment. But then the second thing that he prays here is that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What does Paul mean by this? Because the fact of the matter is, everyone who is truly a Christian has Christ residing in them. That's what it is to be a Christian. To be a Christian means that you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of Christ. So everyone who's a true believer has the Spirit of Christ residing in them. But it's the word dwell that Paul uses that gives us a little better understanding of what he's actually praying for. Because the word dwell here means to settle down or to make uh, your home in that place, to settle down permanently. And, and so what Paul is requesting here is that Christ would be at home in our hearts, that he would settle down permanently in the sense that we would give him the run of the house, that we are opening not just the door, but the doors of our heart to him. We're not just, in, figuratively, we're not just letting him in the front door. And then saying, okay, Lord, great that you're in here. Just stay in the living room and everything will be fine. But we're saying, no, Lord, come, come in and take over the whole house. Do whatever you want to do. Go into every room that there is. Stuff you want to throw out, Lord, throw it out. Stuff that you want to rearrange, go ahead and rearrange it. Things that you want to bring in that are lacking, Bring those things in. What Paul is really talking about here is us coming to that place where Christ is ruling 
our lives from the throne of our hearts, where Christ is just seated there on the, the throne of your heart. That's the center of your being. He's just in the driver's seat. He's in the place of control. That's what he's saying, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That's what he's praying. Because, you know, it's when we give the Lord every part of our lives, that's when all of the blessings and all of the good things that God's talking about, that's when they begin to happen. If I'm holding things back, if I've got areas of my life where I'm saying, Lord, no, I don't want you to mess with that. Let's, let's just leave that for later. Here, you just deal with this part, but, but those other things, those are off limits for the time being. If we're doing that, what we're really doing is we're impoverishing ourselves. We're ripping ourselves off. We're preventing ourselves from going into the fuller blessing of experiencing God's love and his work in our lives. That, that's what we're doing. So Paul's praying that that would not be the case, but there would be just a complete yielding of oneself over to Christ, that he would dwell in your hearts through faith. And then he added, and you being rooted and grounded in love, being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend the depth and, or the width and the length and the depth and the height. So notice, rooted and grounded in love. You see how much love is the, the focal point of the prayer here. Paul likens believers to a well-watered tree and to a well-built house. You think of a well-watered tree, you think of a tree that's roots have gone down deep and there's no danger that that tree is going to topple over. There's no danger that a, a strong wind is going to come and uh, uproot it because it's rooted deeply. Or you think of a house with a firm foundation. Remember, Jesus uh, gave the illustration of those who built their house on the sand and those who built their house on the, on the solid ground. And the wind and the rain and the storm came. And for the house that was built on the sand, it, it blew away. But for the house that was built on the solid foundation, so Paul's prayer is that we would have those roots that go down deep, that that foundation would be solid, that we would be rooted and grounded, notice, in love. Rooted and grounded in Christ's love for us and rooted and grounded in love as the, the foundation for our lives and, and everything that we do together collectively. You know, it's when I am established in God's love that I'm going to thrive. It's when I'm established in God's love that I'm going to be most fruitful. It's when I'm established in God's love that I'm going to be most stable, like, a, like that, that building with a firm foundation. And so that's the request, that they would be rooted and grounded in love, in the love of Christ. And, and listen, if we are personally... And then together, collectively, if we are rooted and grounded in love, what's the atmosphere of our church going to be? It's going to be an atmosphere of love. Oh, love is the great need in the world today. It always has been. You know, it's interesting when you look at the New Testament. 
and, and you just, you know, kind of boil things down to, to the essence. When you look at the church, when you look at what God is, is aiming for through his church, what he's, what he's really aiming for is a community where true love is the atmosphere. Because this is so radically distinct and always has been radically distinct from what goes on out in the world. The world is a place, as we pointed out before, it's a place full of division, and the divisions are based on selfishness. The divisions are, are based on uh, animosity toward other people, hatred in some cases. You think of all the conflicts happening today, the Middle East things that are going on, the things that are going on over in uh, parts of Europe, Russia, the Ukraine, all of, you know, we look at it and it's, it's these, these conflicts, missiles and ground troops and these kinds of things. Yeah, it's that, but, but what's behind that? What's behind that are the hearts of men that hate others, that have hostility and animosity toward others. That's the world, whether it's uh, showing itself through the launching of missiles or it's showing itself through people uh, cursing at one another and shaking their fist at one another. That's the world. The church is to be the opposite of that. God's desire for the church is that it would be a place where you would come and you would just breathe the atmosphere of love. You would sense that there's love, that there's acceptance, that there's true concern and care for people. That's, that's the environment that God intends for his church. And so... That's what he's praying for, as I said here. That's the deep desire of the Spirit for us, the people of God. And being rooted and grounded in love, that we may be able to comprehend what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. The, the width and length and depth and height of the love of God, that we would know that. Somebody put it like this. God's love is wide enough to encompass all mankind. God loves all people. He loves all people groups. There's no one preferred people group in the sense of ethnicity or culture or anything like that. God loves all the people of the world. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Little children grow up to be adults. God loves them too. God loves everyone. His love is wide enough to encompass all mankind. It's long enough to last for eternity. It's deep enough to reach the most degraded sinner. Do we know that? Do we remember that? Do we realize that? God's love is so deep. Paul's praying that we would know, that we would comprehend the depth of the love of Christ. How deep is his love? Jesus died on that cross for every single person who ever lived or will live and for every sin they ever committed. There's not a single person that has ever lived that God did not love with a deep, deep, deep love. There's nobody on the planet today, regardless of who they are, 
regardless of the, the depth of their depravity and wickedness, there's no one that God doesn't love. And, and because of his love, Christ died for them. And because of his love, he's desiring to reach them and save them. That's how deep the love of Christ is. There's, there's no one that's too far gone. I was reading last night, I think it was, uh, maybe it was a Twitter by Joel Rosenberg or a, took me to his blog or something. Uh, but Joel, some of you know who Joel Rosenberg is. He's written much on, uh, on Israel. He's a Jewish believer. He's very passionate about Israel and the things that are happening there right now. He's keeping close tabs on what's going on in this new struggle between uh, the Israelis and Hamas. And anyway, the thing that he was saying, he was saying, don't stop praying for these Hamas guys, even the leaders. He said, because I have been all over the Middle East and I have met people and interviewed people who formerly were terrorists with Hamas or Hezbollah or PLO or whatever. And now they're followers of Christ. So he was saying, pray for these guys. Pray that God will reach them. You know, some people would look at them and just say, you know, God should nuke them. God, God can't save terrorists. They're too wicked. They're too evil. They've, they've perpetrated these horrific acts upon innocent people. But the fact of the matter is they can be saved because the love of Christ is so deep that it reaches even to the most degraded sinner and that it's high enough to exalt us ultimately to heaven. I thought that was good. Those are good points. They're true. Each and every one of them are right. But notice his prayer is that we would comprehend, but now here's the key, that we would comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ. With all the saints is a key here. You see, I can experience the love of God to some degree as an individual. Of course I can. The love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's an individual experience. God loves me individually. And I can have these experiences of God's love just as a person between me and my Savior. But I experience more of his love when I do it in community with other believers. You see, God is not created this new thing called the church, this whole new community, so that we who are members of it would then isolate ourselves from it. But we do that sometimes, don't we? We isolate. We say, well, I know God loves me and I experience God's love in my room at home when I'm praying and doing my devotions. You should pray. You should do your devotions, and it's wonderful to experience the love of God, but it doesn't stop there. We can only experience the fullness of this love that Paul's talking about it as we do it in community with God's people. Think about just, uh, you know, if you're by yourself, let's just say, let's just take, every, take even God out of the picture for a minute, just, you know, by yourself, how much love do you experience by yourself? You're just hanging around with yourself. Man, I love myself. This is great. Wow, this is, oh, I just feel so in love. This is wonderful. No, you don't, right? No, you need another person. 
You need somebody to love, somebody to love you. That's what love is. It's something you experience between other people. Now, yes, of course, we have that with God, but God intends that we have it with each other. And that comprehending the width and the length and the depth and the love of Christ, to know his love in the deepest sense, we've got to do it all together. So I can't isolate myself. Now, we live in an interesting time in history, and uh, you know there's many wonderful things that we have at our fingertips today with technology. Uh, we have the ability to edify ourselves through just you know clicking on something, and we can get a great message from the Word of God from a gifted Bible teacher that's going to strengthen and encourage us. But the the downside of it is we could easily end up isolating ourselves from the people of God because I'm satisfied just listening to my podcast and getting encouraged by my favorite Bible teacher here, but I'm, I'm not engaging with other Christians. I'm not in fellowship in the sense that we're praying together and we're building each other up through mutual sharing of the scriptures or we're telling one another about the things that God's doing in our lives. You see, that's what we're talking about. That has to happen. And if we're missing out on that, then there's a whole dimension of God's love that we're never going to comprehend because Paul is praying that we would comprehend with all the saints. So there's that component. So don't isolate yourself. You say, look, I'm here. What else do you want? I'm at church. Come on, (laughs) give me a break. Well, here's what I'm saying. That's good. It's great that you're at church. But, you know, you can isolate yourself even being gathered with the people of God. You can come in and just kind of uh, go off over by yourself and sit there and not talk to anybody and listen to the message and then get up and leave and you, you don't have any fellowship. We have to resist that. We have to fight against that. You have to take steps. You have to get engaged. You have to make yourself vulnerable and put yourself out a bit and and get with others. So it's possible, even in a setting like this, to still be isolated, but God wants us to come together. He wants us to engage. Lots of people go to church on Sunday, but the rest of the week, they have no engagement with the people of God. In the context of fellowship, that's where we need to be plugged in to whatever, a Bible study, a community group, whatever, a place where you can get strengthened and built up and edified because we comprehend these things with all the saints. I was speaking to a friend this past week. He's from Stockholm, Sweden, and he loves Calvary Chapel. He's been here for Uh, He's been here occasionally for months at a time over the years, and he's come to really appreciate this church in particular, the ministry of Calvary Chapel, but he doesn't have this back in Sweden. And he was telling me the other day as we were talking, he says, you know, uh, not having the fellowship that I have here at Calvary uh, back home I've been involved in a lot of other churches. He said, I've I've seen a lot of things. And he kind of put the spectrum from the charismatic over here all the way over to the, uh, the really staunchly reformed. And he said this, he said, and you know, I, I found in each one that there are good things. He said, I, I prefer the, the 
kind of the philosophy and the atmosphere and just the methodology of Calvary Chapel. But, but I've also found that there are good things in these other churches that I've been to. And he said, and I think it's so important that we don't just dismiss these other groups of Christians because we don't agree with every point, but that we take the good that they have and we get blessed by it. And then we in turn, you know, give something back to them. And as he said that, I, I just, it resonated with me how true that really is. Sometimes because a person doesn't line up exactly with the way we think or feel about something, or they don't believe it exactly the way we think it ought to be believed, we just sort of dismiss them entirely. Okay, well, they don't agree with me on that, so I don't care about anything they think or have to say. That's a mistake. Because even though you don't agree on that, and and perhaps they're actually even wrong, but in another area, they might have something to offer. They might have a, a real strength that would be a blessing. I received a call on the radio the other day and uh, a woman asked the question. She said, you know, there's a, there's a song that we're singing at our church and I really love this worship song and it's really touched my heart, but I heard it came from an emergent church and I'm wondering if we should sing it anymore. And I said, well, tell me the song. She said, can I do that? I said, yeah, tell me the song. And I, I actually had already guessed what it was, but it was the song she said, may, uh, feet may fail. It's the song Oceans. And I said, oh, that's one of the greatest songs currently that's out there. I love that song. And I said, and listen, no, it didn't come out of an emergent church. Does anybody even really know what the emergent church is? Very few people do. There's all kinds of misconceptions about it. But no, it didn't come. It came out of Hillsong. Oh, but Hillsong's charismatic. And they're, they're, yeah, they are that. And there are things about Hillsong that I personally don't agree with. It's not my taste. And I think in some areas, they're... uh, they maybe need a little more balance doctrinally. But I'll tell you, the gift that they're giving to the church today is great worship music. That's the area where they are amazingly gifted. And you listen to the melodies, and you hear the songs, and you listen to the biblical content in those songs. Those songs are powerful. You know, I hear people say today, uh, I, I hear this so often, oh, you know, the hymns, we need to sing more hymns. And all these new worship songs, they're so trite and trivial, and there's no depth to them. Hey, listen, I don't know what worship songs you're listening to. There, there certainly are some that are like that, but there are a lot of worship songs today that are so deep and powerful, they transcend the hymns. Now, there's some great hymns, no doubt, and I love many of the hymns, but you know, there's some really cheesy hymns too. <laughs> there are some hymns I've listened to, and I think, what in the world were they thinking? And that melody was horrific. Some hymns that we used to sing, I would, every time we'd start the music, I think we're on like a merry-go-round or something. You know, it just had that, it just, you know, we, the Bible says sing a new song. If we have to depend on songs from 200 years ago, we're in trouble. If we have to depend on songs from 30 years ago, we're in trouble. We should be being blessed with new music all the time because God's working in people's hearts. And like I'm saying, here's a group that, uh, that as, as a group of churches, I don't agree with all of their theological positions on things, but I sure appreciate the gift of music that God's given to them. And he's blessing the church. I don't agree with the reform position on a lot of things, but man, there's some sharp reform guys out there that they, they hit the nail on some stuff that I appreciate. And I'm thankful for their ministry. I don't agree with every 
finer theological point with them. But you know, God has this diversity within the family. And we have to recognize we will be poorer if we refuse to accept the blessing that God has given to other parts of the church. We will be poorer because we can only comprehend the width and the length and the depth and the love of Christ. We can only comprehend it with all the saints together. Everybody's got something to offer. And let's not forget that. We're going to head off tomorrow to England, as you heard. And we're going to go to this festival. And we're going to be with people that are Baptists and Pentecostals and Anglicans and Methodists. And we're going to have a great time worshiping the Lord together. And not everybody's going to agree theologically on some of the things. But we do agree on the main things that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died for our sins, that he rose from the dead, that he's coming again. You know, those things. The Bible is the word of God. Those, those are the things. So we have to resist this, this tendency to divide, which is a lack of love. We have to resist that. I mean, Jesus said that the great evidence of our being his disciples would be our love for one another. That would be the great evidence. He said it. A new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. By this, all men shall know that you are my disciples. So you see, this is what Paul is praying for. And you think about it. This has been probably, uh, and interestingly, Jesus prayed a similar thing in John 17. But this has been uh, the Spirit you know, leading them at the time to pray these things. But this has been the area where the church has been so weak and where the church has failed so frequently. It's been in the area of love. So this is the heart of God for us, that we would experience, comprehend in the deepest ways possible the love of Christ. And we do that together as a community of believers. We do that with one another. I I think I shared this briefly, but my son and my daughter-in-law and the the situation with our granddaughter, Evelyn, um, Char said to me, these words. He said, dad, this is the hardest thing I've ever been through. And I would never have asked to go through this, but I have to say that the thing that I've experienced through this is the deep love of God through his people, God's people all over the world, praying for them, sending them uh, messages on Instagram or Twitter or texting them or Facebook or, you know, people taking up collections to help them financially through the rough season, people they don't even know doing this stuff. People from all different denominations and backgrounds. We heard about your baby. Just know that we're praying for you. He said, we've been overwhelmed by the love of God through the people of God. This, you see, Paul, remember the context here. He's talking, this is all he's talking about. This this whole thing, this mystery, God's bringing everybody together in this one family. And now he says, okay, I, I need to pray that we all get this need to pray that 
we experience what God intends in bringing all of this together, to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. Paul is, this is what you call a paradox. Things that seem to contradict, but they don't because they're spiritual things. So how do you know, he's praying that we would know the love of Christ that you can't know fully. Well, that's the key, fully. It's not that we can't know the love of Christ. Certainly we can, but we can never know it fully or completely. We can never exhaust the love of Christ. You can never come to a place where you have exhausted the love of Christ. There's no more love of Christ that I can experience. You can never come to that place. That's what Paul's praying, that you would comprehend, but you could never exhaust it. So then fourthly and finally, he prays another thing that seems a bit paradoxical, that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. How could we who are finite be filled with the infinite? So you see, there's a bit of a paradox there. But yet at the same time, there is that ability to um, be filled with, or maybe even a better idea is filled unto all the fullness of God. What he's really describing here is the idea of continued growth in the things of the spirit, continued growth in Christ-likeness. You see, that's where everything's headed. That's where God is, is moving us to. He's moving us to likeness to Christ. As a Christian, you're on a journey. You're, you're saved. You're not on a journey to see if you're going to make it to heaven. You're, you're, you're already going to make it to heaven because you put your faith and trust in Christ. The journey you're on now is a journey of transformation. It's a journey of, of conformity. You are being conformed to the image of God's son. And one day, you're going to look just like Jesus. One day, you will be like him. We shall be like him for we shall see him as he is, the Bible tells us. So being filled with all the fullness of God, the the idea there is that we would be progressing, we would be growing, we would be uh, coming uh, more and more like Jesus. And Jesus, of course, was, among other things, he was the embodiment of God's love. So having prayed these things, he then ends everything with this. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. You see, as Paul's praying these things, it's like he knows that he's, he's, the stuff that he's praying for is so magnificent. It's so glorious. It's so great. But now he's assuring us God's able to do it. God can do it. God can fill you with love. God can strengthen you with love. God can overwhelm you with his love. God can supply love for you that you could never, ever work up on your own. And he can overflow that love from you to others. You know, sometimes we think about 
the prospect of things ahead of us, things that we don't know. And we think, well, how could I ever handle that? Or how could I deal with the situation if it came up? This God supplies us. When the time comes, he's able to do above and beyond all we could ask or imagine. Can God fill us with this love? Can God create an atmosphere of love among us? Can God give you love for uh, your enemies? Can God give you the ability to love somebody that naturally you could never love? Yes, he can. He can do above and beyond anything we can ask or imagine. God is more than able. The question really is, are we willing? Are we going to yield? Are we going to put ourselves in the place of community with the saints so that this fullness of God's love can work itself in us and through us? That's the question. Are we going to do that? I pray that we will. I encourage you to do that. Don't isolate yourself. Don't try to be that Christian who's just, you know, you're out there on your own. You're going to follow the Lord and you don't need anybody else. Oh, yes, you do. You need others. You need the people of God. You need the family of God. You need your brothers and sisters in Christ. You need the universal family of God because it's in that context that we will ultimately experience this great, deep love of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your deep love for us. And Lord, I think of uh, the words to, I think it's Phil's song, Lord, your love is deeper than any ocean, higher than the heavens. Your love has no bounds. And Lord, that's the love that you have for us. And that's the love that you want to give us among ourselves, between ourselves. And so, Lord, would you help us not to isolate ourselves, not to disengage from your family, the church, but help us, Lord, to be fully plugged in as members of your body and growing in your love through the relationships that you have given to us. Lord, would you pour out your spirit upon us here? Lord, would the atmosphere here be one of love in an ever-growing manner in the days ahead? Lord, may that be the air we breathe. May that be the foundation under our feet, your love, your love for us, your love through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.